This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hola, humanos. Hello, everybody. Another show, another Don't Interrupt Me, por favor, with three people, three human beings. Hola, Lisa Button. Hi. Hello. Oh. Thanks for letting us interrupt your Sunday. Oh, my God. Your voice is getting better and better every weekend. <laughs> thanks to technology. A nice microphone, right? <laughs> yeah. Hello, Nick Leiber. Hello, Guillermo Fesser. Okay, are you in a, been, are you in a cave? I've been drinking a lot of tea, so I'm hoping my voice sounds yeah. just as good as Lisa's. You sound like the real man, the voice. You know? Yeah. Anyways, I'm very excited because today we're going to learn a few secrets about New York City and a tip or two about mixing the perfect cocktail. We're interviewing Marcelo mm -hmm. Hernandez, the legendary bartender at the Oyster Bar in New York's Grand Central Station. And I'm very excited about it. I met Marcelo uh, years ago. I've been working with him in his biography for the last three years. Uh, we're almost there. And he's got an amazing story. Uh, not only his story uh, from Ecuador to New York and behind a bar for over 50 years, but the story of what he has witnessed from that bar in uh, many places, mostly 35 years in the Oyster Bar at Grand Central, how the city has changed and how so many people are moving in many different ways, and how he moved many different people in many different ways. Pues Marcelo Hernández y Salcedo por mamá, como se solía decir, bienvenido a nuestro show. ¿Cómo te encuentras esta mañana, amigo? Muchas gracias, muy aquí esperándoles, desgraciadamente un poquito de lluvia, pero el clima está así un poquito gris, pero aquí encantado y muy emocionado de, de ustedes que me han tomado en cuenta. Y vamos a ver si conversamos de algún, alguna cosa. Seguro que sí, porque aunque el clima esté gris, Marcelo es como Mary Poppins, que pone color por donde pasa. 50 years behind a bar in New York City. Uh, Marcelo, you must have seen the city change a lot, right, through the years? Oh, yes, it has changed, but let's start. Make it 55, okay, now. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll give you five more, okay. Five more, please. 55 years behind the bars, in the main bars in New York City. And yes, New York City is a city of cycles. It goes through cycles, okay? And yes, it has changed many, many times. And I can tell from the angle of what's related about food and drinks, yes, the people have. In which way? Let's start for the time where dry martinis were the popular drink, for example, and then what happened? Oh, dry martinis. Where they, which now they call it the classical martinis, which they 
like this. Three parts of gene to one part of driver mood. Okay. En español serían tres partes de ginebra y una parte de vermouth seco. Okay. Se enfriaba, you would stir it, and then you serve it over a cocktail glass with one olive. That was the martini. And people drank martinis for decades. Then, Marcelo. ¿En qué años estamos cuando estamos tomando estos dry martinis? Que no tienen el jugo de, de aceituna, de, no, son muy dry, no tienen, tienen una aceituna, pero falta, no, no hay jugo de aceituna, nada. Ok, mi historia pues profesional empieza en el año 1964, pero claro, estas bebidas son desde los años 30, quizás de los años 40, se puso más popular debido a que cuando los americanos fueron a Europa por diferentes guerras o, o disagreements with governments, the Americans went to Europe, and then, you know, so this I would say in increased popularity about mid-40s, 1940s. So I can recount from there on, and as a matter of fact, also when the wars prohibition time during the in the United States, people they had to realize or create cocktails in order to <laughs> camouflage <laughs> a liquor. So in my case, let's start from nineteen sixty four and I was working with people that being old enough to recount these stories also. Okay. El Martini pues que en esa época se acostumbraba, era un martini, así se servía, tres a uno. Con el tiempo se fue la, la receta degenerando a, a más seco, más seco, entonces menos vermouth. Ya no era tres a uno, ya era cuatro a uno, después cinco a uno. Ahora es 6 a 1, ahora es completamente a Ginebra, muchas gentes. Pero ahora han creado, alguien vino con esta idea de hacer un martini sucio. Ahí viene el jugo de oliva. Oh, the dirty martini. The dirty martini is a new thing. That's the latest thing on the last three, four years. Oh, it's that new? No. No, it's brand no. new, but it's new compared to the longevity of this industry. Right. So this is in the last three, four years that people are drinking a dairy martini. And, of course, some people accentuate this very dairy. I want to be dairy today, okay? <laughs> and I hope we were going to come to this moment in the that I talk about it is that many people don't know what they're drinking. Definitely many people do not have an idea what they're drinking. <laughs> I prefer more alcohol in my drink. <laughs> the moment you put dairy martini, you're putting a lot of olive juice in the martini. So you, when you say very, very dairy, you're paying <laughs> for olive juice. For the same price, right? <laughs> <Same> <laughs> <price>. <laughs> En esa época de los años 60, mi suegro trabajaba en Nueva York y era muy común que la gente, bueno, los hombres, vamos a decir, 
porque en esa época estaban los hombres en las oficinas, you know, the big corporate offices. And, you know, I think that's where the three martini lunch expression came about, was during the 60s, right? Sí, exactamente. Salió eso, pues los tres martinis lunches. Era así porque las compañías estaban, este, podría, podían devengar estos gastos de expenses of the company. So the three martini lunches were paid by the companies and over these three martini lunches were done a lot of good deals for the company. So that was the media for selling more of whatever you you were selling, no? Whatever goods are you selling. So, but these deals were done over three martini lunches. Were more casual. You talk more uh, once you have the martini a gin, and two <laughs> and three. It's easier to say yes than say no. <laughs> you must. The companies uh, could, you know, show it to the for the government that this was an expense to make that deal. You uh, must have ever heard some interesting deals. Yeah, you know, some interesting deals. And the, the guys that used to come, they used to use the, the napkins, the bar napkins. They'll do some scribble. Whatever they were talking with the customer, they scribble, they put it on the packet, and barely they could say, my bill, because now three <laughs> martinis, you're done. Uh, barely they have lunch, barely they take lunch. They gave the three napkins, they put it in the pocket, and they went to the secretary. Y llegó la época en que las compañías no pagaban ya a los empleados por tomarse tres martinis y el vodka eh, se hizo con la barra, ¿no? Primero esto. Este, pasaron los tiempos, pasaron los años de que ya eh, los gobiernos pues empezaron a ajustar, querían más de eh, colectar más impuestos, more taxes, and then they start to say expenses they have to be more professional, no questionable expenses. So in other words, the three martinis, mm -mm, they were not accepted. You could buy lunch to a customer, but not a martini. And that's when the people start switching to the perrier, three perriers. Okay, the three perrier uh, lunch. <laughs> that's where the deals were making, but over three perriers, you were not selling as much as when over three martinis. So... It stayed like that, little by little, the expense accounts, they were cutting because they're not selling. So they're cutting, the production is cutting, and eventually now there's very, very, very little of the recognizable by the government expenses on the company. The change between gin to vodka, it was because gin smells, produces a smell. So three martinis from Jean, cualquier persona que te hablaba sabía que te habías tomado tres martinis solamente por el olor. Entonces, aunque era elegante, pero llegó el vodka y vodka empezó a hacerse grande en los Estados Unidos porque el vodka no tiene olor, huele menos que la ginebra. Entonces, aunque ellos, según ellos, se han tomado tres martinis, en la idea de ellos es que nobody was, will realize that they, they are drunk because there's no smell. <laughs> so that's why then it became vodka, the number one selling. People stopped the gin and became 
Vodka Martínez. Yo recuerdo cuando yo puse por primera vez mis pies en este país, Estados Unidos, la gente no sabía prácticamente nada de vino. Y ahora yo creo que el más tonto te recomienda 10 botellas distintas. ¿Qué ha pasado? Ha habido una revolución ahí también, ¿no? Exactamente. Ahí vengo a, la, a lo que mencioné de antes. De la, la, gente que no, la gente actual no sabe lo que está tomando. De ponerle jugo de oliva a la ginebra. Y yo estoy de acuerdo que darle un poquito de sabor a la ginebra está bien. Pero darle demasiado, entonces ya estás perdiendo el alcohol. Entonces estás pagando por algo que que no le veo esto. Cuando ya por los años 60 uh, se conocía en, en Nueva York, dame un burgundy, quería decir, dame un vino rojo. Y si querías blanco, decías, dame un chardonnay. Él ya se sabía que el chardonnay era vino blanco y el burgundy era rojo. Entonces la gente, muy poca gente, en realidad tenía conocimientos de vino. Y nosotros los bartenders de allá del año de la época de los 60, fuimos los primeros bartenders, claro, si eras este, un bartender europeo, pues no había problema en eso, porque eran italianos o franceses, este, ellos sí conocían vino. Pero en cambio, nosotros los nuevos bartenders conocía, no conocíamos de vino más que el Burgundy y el Chardonnay. Entonces tuvimos nosotros que aprender vino. Yo, en eh, lo personal, aprendí, me hice un viaje a Francia, y después de Francia, pues ya vine con ese, con el gusanito de seguir con vino. Y claro, entonces hice un curso con la los Asociación de Viñeros de eh, California, lo hice por correspondencia, lo que es vino y cómo vender, cómo comprar, cómo mantener un inventario de vino y qué vino sugerir. Y así, por ende, muchos otros bartenders o muchachos que vinieron y se hicieron bartenders por práctica, se ha tenido que aprender. Y ahora, pues, los Estados Unidos, la gente americana, creo que fue en el año 2000, que por primera vez, America were drinking more wine than beer. And uh, little by little we had to learn that Burgundy is an area, not the wine. <laughs> that Burgundy could be a red wine, could be a white wine. So little by little, the Americans, now, they passed that, uh, that Burgundy, that Cabernet or Merlot word, uh, they became Chardonnay, they became Chablis, they became Sauvignon Blancs, and now, now they're asking even for Riesling wine. So it's been in the last 50 years that's been a big transition of the American people knowledgeable about wine. And hasn't there been a big transition back to cocktails in about the last five to eight years? Then it becomes a transition also about the people that drink and the bartenders that are now. I'm not claiming I'm the best, not at all, but I did learn my trade properly. Who is your favorite celebrity or New York City icon you've served, and, and what did they always order? Ay, Dios mío, he servido tantos. Eh, el, el, o el, que más, ¿El preferido o el que más me ha impresionado? <risa> bueno, ambos. <risa> ah, el que más me impresionó a mí fue eh, un señor que es un tipo que vino y me, me dice, perdona, me dice, ¿dónde queda el baño? 
cuando me doy cuenta, este era Richard Whitmer. Me doy cuenta Richard Whitmer y me quedo yo, pero sin palabras. Me quedo a, 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 y lo único que fue este mostrarles dónde era con la mano, enseñarles, porque no podía hablarles. Después de un rato reaccioné, pero que yo he servido tantas este personalidades, sí, de todas las personas que las he servido han dejado una marca muy buena, muy positiva en lo que es a mi persona y mi servicio. Por ejemplo, digamos, uh, Harrison Ford, un excelente caballero, una persona que a sí mismo no habla muy duro, <ríe> parece a Marlon Brando. Cuando Marlon Brando te hablaba, uno tenía que ponerse la mano en el oído para en, en realidad oírles. Porque hablaban tan bajitos que había que decir, perdón, ¿qué, qué me dijo? Repítame. <ríe> También otra persona que le llegué a servir, que así mismo me impresionó muchísimo, fue Benny Hill. Ah, sí. Benny Hill fue un gran comediante de, de Inglaterra. Ustedes lo, lo conocen. Europeo. Uh -huh. Sí, claro, claro, que hacía, hacía todo, pero este no hablaba, ¿no? Este no hablaba, este solo hacía comedia slastic, ¿no? Sí, claro, hacía este, más este, hacía este double entender situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in that time was admissible because they were more sensual oriented, which today would be not acceptable. But the, the mm -hmm. guy was a funny guy, great comedian, and when I saw him, uh, it took me a little while to... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm curious, what is, what is New York to you? My father used to say one thing, he says, New York is the city of the eternal Mardi Gras. O sea, que en español diríamos que Nueva York es un carnaval de la vida todo el tiempo. Y es una buena, una buena comparación. Yo diría que la ciudad de Nueva, de Nueva York es la ciudad de los extremos. Encuentras lo mejor de lo mejor y lo peor de lo peor. Entonces, encuentras una persona súper bien vestida, con una ropa costosísima, y al lado está un señor o una señora, una persona homeless. O puedes encontrar la persona más alta, o puedes empezar la persona más pequeñita. Una vez yo vi este extremo, en la calle 34, una persona le estaba tomando una foto al Empire State. Y esta persona, para tomarle la foto al Empire State, 
que arrodille en el piso. O sea, era más grande que el Empire State, tuvo que agacharse para hacer la foto al edificio. Sí, señor, que estaba tomando la foto, era un enanito. Ah, ah, ah ok. Y se arrodilló todavía para tomarle la foto al Empire State Building. Ese es un extremo. Escucha, ahora que hablas de extremos, Marcelo, uh, por supuesto que ha servido a mucha gente conocida, mucha gente famosa, muchos que, bueno, son como secreto de confesión y no tienes por qué contárnoslo aquí, pero la mayoría de la gente que pasa por Grand Central son personas normales y corrientes, eh, son commuters que van con prisa a volver a casa, y en esos commuters, eh, Marcelo, aparte de un bartender, he has to be a, almost a therapist, almost a father, almost a brother, Almost a priest in accept confession, right? Yes, definitely. Um, uh, I keep telling to everybody over there that come to my bar, says, come over here, you know, when you had a good day, come and see me. You had a bad day, come and see me. If you want to come and confess, come and see me. Confess all you want. You won't get absolutions. <laughs> you can confess all you want. And they do confess. Oh, they do. They come out once they have a drink, comes out what they... The problem would be what bothered them for the day, what uh, the wife would say when he comes home. But it's only a he. Now also have changed it, a she. Because ladies also go and work in the corporate world. So they'll come and they'll start telling me how the day was. They will tell me what the husband is doing home. They'll tell me what they are not doing home. <laughs> so it's a, it's a different movement now. Sometimes you'll have one, you know, a, a wife come in at one time, I imagine, and then the husband come in at another time, I imagine, I imagine. Yes, discretion is. Sometimes it happens in the same day. He comes huh. first, uh, half an hour later she comes. Or sometimes they meet over there to, so they go together to home. Or even has happened a couple of hours later, he or she comes in and to my bar to have a drink. But. I'm very, very, very careful, very professional on that one. I don't let him know that he or she was earlier in the place. I leave them find out by themselves when they get home. <laughs> they What makes a great bartender in your experience? What makes a great bartender? It's not mm -hmm. the mixing drinks. The art of mixing drinks is beautiful. I enjoy it very much. But what makes a bartender is that I'm here behind the bar, For you. The moment you come into my bar, you just don't come in for the drink. Just come to unwind, and I'm here for you, like uh, Guillermo says. I am the doctor's doctor. <laughs> in other words, doctors come and see me. They have problems just the same. So I'm, I'm here for you. You can come, have a glass of water, or have a drink, and tell me about your problem. I'm there for listening to you. And I do with all honesty, with all sincerity. I'm there for you. At the end of the day, definitely, probably, I don't resolve your problem, but at least I make it with less aggravation of your problem. I might say something funny that I think is funny, or I might say a solution of a practical life or something that I heard. But uh, I'm here for you, not only for the drink. Usually, you don't have only one customer, right? I mean, you have eight stools there. You have a second line of people waiting. So you are, in a way, also a conductor of an orchestra. You have to make that thing to go organically work, you know, the dynamics of people. Somebody's very loud. Somebody's very shy. Somebody, how do you, how do you, how do, you do that? Yes, 
I have um, eight, ten chairs. And each chair is a different conversation. So thanks to my repeated business of my experience, I know how that person behaves. And uh, not necessarily the person is bad. But once you have a drink, you are free to come out. I know how they react, and I know the other person comes. I try to put them more or less together because I know they're going, they have a common problem, they have a common way of talking, and they're going to be by themselves, and they understand each other, which it makes it easier for me because I know this group is fine, so I go to the other group that I know that is could be at least an edgy person or something like that, that one, I try to get him with another type of people, usually it's another edgy guy, and they kind of like a, they have pity of each other, and somehow they resolve their conversation. It makes it easier for me to put them together because this way I can continue what else I'm doing. I know they're reacting. And I know somebody, for instance, that comes one night, and I know that person does not belong to that group. Usually, if a customer comes and I know belongs to that, or they're going to match to the personality of the other person, I introduce them. But if I know that person, and I know the other one, and I know that they have completely different personalities, I do not introduce them. So if they got to talk to their own, they'll find out on their own that they don't belong together. I want to ask you, Marcelo, to expand a bit on on extremes. We keep seeing stories and living a reality of income inequality in the United States. And I think you can really see it in, in New York City. You were describing seeing a really well-dressed person next to a, a homeless person. How do you make sense of, of income inequality today in, in New York? Difícil de decir, desgraciadamente, la economía se está inclinando para un solo lado. Y yo no soy economista, pero soy más realista. Entonces, por esas razones, pues entonces en Nueva York existen esos extremos. A pesar de que sí, en realidad, somos, Nueva York es una ciudad muy democrática, o sea que muy... Aceptamos todos esos extremos sin mayor problema. Pero, claro, cuando la economía se pone de un solo lado, pues va a suceder más de esa infraestructura. Y yo creo que eso es lo que es. Ahora, como digo, no soy economista ni soy experto en eso, pero... Bueno, habrás visto muchas soledades eh, en ese bar, ¿no? Que es una contradicción entre la ciudad que todo lo tiene verdad. y todo lo da, ¿no? Es la verdad. Es. Nueva York es una ciudad de tantos millones de gente pero hay un momento que sí puedes estar solo. Oye, puedes tener tu momento de soledad completamente en Nueva York. Sí lo he visto. Me gustaría que nos contaras eh, algo de tu infancia. ¿Cuándo en tu Ecuador, eh, en tu querido país natal, cuándo Marcelo, Marcelito, el pequeño Marcelo, supo que quería ser bartender? Yo creo que como por ahí, como a los 10 o 12 años... <risa> Y, bueno, primer lugar, es curioso, ¿no? Tenía un club, ¿no? Tenía, era músico. Entonces, en ese tiempo los músicos se ganaban la vida 
en, eh, casi siempre en clubes nocturnos. Uh -huh. Todos los clubes nocturnos tenían un músico, un cuarteto, un trío, alguien en vivo, porque no había esto de la, lo que es grandioso ahora de, 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 de discos, que ya ni existen CDs, ¿no? todo eso que era, lo que había era entretenimiento en, en vivo. Entonces todo todo club, por más pequeño que era, tenía por lo menos un, un pianista o un guitarrista, algo. Mi padre, pues como era músico, se ganaba la vida en, en los clubes nocturnos. Entonces los músicos en esa época, como trabajaban la noche, ellos se despertaban como a las 12, una de la tarde, y si tenían que ir a ensayar, iban a ensayar como a las 3 de la tarde donde ensayaban casi siempre en el sitio donde iban a trabajar en la noche. Entonces se reunían el grupo de músicos, y si yo estaba libre de la escuela, mi padre me llevaba conmigo. Entonces yo iba a un club, había unos que eran pequeños, un bar pequeño, o habían otros que eran grandes. Entonces mientras mi padre ensayaba con los otros músicos, yo deambulaba, caminaba por el club ese y de alguna forma siempre me iba al bar, detrás del bar y encontraba botellas vacías. Entonces yo cogía una botella vacía y la olía me di uno, unos, unos olores terribles o, o qué sería. Pero entonces la olía y miraba la etiqueta. Eso no pasaba de más. Después, cuando ya tenía mis más años, 12 años, empecé a mirar donde yo había visto esa etiqueta y qué es lo que había sido. Y yo creo que desde ahí yo ya empecé a, a arreglar uh, cócteles algo así. Alguien me enseñó cómo hacer un Tom Collins, un mesero viejo, me enseñó a hacerlo. Y de ahí eso me pasé haciendo Tom Collins por un gran rato y los probaba también. What's your favorite drink? Uh, wine. Ahí... <laughs> Don't drink liquor anymore because I did my share. <laughs> Pero en mi tiempo yo tomaba Ginebra, Anchorage, y eventualmente uh, cuando ya me vuelvo con unas personas muy amigo, les sugiero que no tomen Ginebra. Ginebra es un licor que dado a los juniper berries que le ponen para darle el, el aroma, esos juniper berries se meten en tu sistema nervioso. Y una persona que consume mucha ginebra, se le conoce en el caminar, al andar. Es siempre una persona nerviosa. Marcelo, ¿dónde vas tú cuando sales y quieres tomar algo? Bueno, siempre hay un bar en el camino tuyo. Siempre hay lo bueno o malo. Lo bueno de Nueva York es que siempre hay un bar, ¿no? Entonces, uno pues... Va camino al, al bus, camino al tren, camino a este. Siempre le encuentras un bar, quizá un bartender que te adaptes. Entonces uno ya vuelve a ese bar, a ese rincón. Pues no necesariamente tiene que ser lujoso, pero volvemos a la vida del bartender. El bartender es el que atrae a la gente, que le hace sentirle bien a uno, le hace sentir mal a uno. Entonces, por ahí, además, como en la industria nos conocemos, Conocen a Marcelo, pues entonces paso un ratito a tomar un, caso, un vaso de vino en algún sitio en mi camino al, a, a, coger, a tomar mi bus. 
What's your opinion on the rivalry between New York and New Jersey? You live in New Jersey. New Jersey is a beautiful state, but uh, uh, I think it's so unfair that uh, a bunch of people in New York look uh, at New Jersey like a second uh, B place in, in this country. What's, what's, your, what's your take on that? Let's go back to describe New York City. Nothing compares to New York City, okay? New York City has everything. has a charm, and... Uh, we all sell something in New York City, whether you sell drinks, whether you sell tomatoes, whether you sell um, uh, knowledge, we are selling something. From the moment that you have to rest. Where you go to rest, you go to your home. In my case, I go to New Jersey. We all came from all over the world. We came to New York, whether you came from Brooklyn, you came to Manhattan. Whether you came from Spain, you came to Manhattan. Whether you came from Ecuador, you come to Manhattan. New York is a very strong word. But as I say, comes a moment that you have to rest for tomorrow again. So you go home. Where's your home? A state that, has, that is more calm. And uh, in my case, in New Jersey, which I love it very much. So you're talking about resting. Bartending is very physical. What is your secret to longevity? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I'm lucky, or I don't want to make it religious, but in my case, would we'll be blessed. Or uh, let's say, eat well. And in my case, I eat well. I swim, I bicycle, uh, and above all, I think be sincere at what you do. Because a person that is not sincere, a person that is lying, I mean, you, you become a nerve wreck because you have to remember what you said last time. And that will take a lot of wear and tear in your, in your nerve system, in your, in your condition. So while if you are a complete person with sincerity, you don't have nothing to worry, to remember, because you are... Like this person today will be the same one tomorrow. I think that that it's a good reason to longevity. Of course, the gene has a lot to do. At the end of the day, don't drink gin, <laughs> drink vodka, <laughs> or wine. <laughs> Marcelo, si tú te estabas, tenías que dar consejo al Marcelito que llegó a, a New York City tantos años atrás, ¿qué le dirías a él? ¿Qué me hubiera gustado hacer? Hay dos cosas que yo me hubiera gustado ser. Yo fui muy tímido cuando era pequeño, muy tímido. Y lo soy, todavía soy tímido, para decirte la verdad. Dado a mi timidez, no creo que fui suficientemente agresivo. Quizás yo hubiera llegado más lejos en cuestión posiblemente de monetariamente, ¿no? No que estoy mal, ¿no? Pero digamos, hubiera alcanzado quizás otras metas más, más notables, quizás. Esa sería una. Y la otra, pues, el sueño de mi padre fue que yo sea músico y no soy músico porque yo creo que el músico es un talento, es un gift that comes with you when you're born. But I really would have, like, at least to play any instrument, one instrument. Not necessarily professional, but play an instrument. Be, let it be piano or drums or something like that. I would have felt happy. Pues con esta sintonía 
tan agradable nos quedamos. Marcelo Hernández, muchísimas gracias por haber estado en Don't Interrupt Me, por favor. Uh, vamos a decir a la gente que estás eh, en el Oyster Bar todavía, ¿no? Todos los días. ¿Cuándo estás en el Oyster Bar? Señor, de, de, digamos, no los miércoles, no fines de semana. Pero estoy ahí cuatro días semanales. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Ok, pues la gente que quiera pasarse por el Oyster Bar, nada más abrir la gran puerta al fondo... Está la barra de Marcelo y por favor le dais recuerdos de Lisa Button, de Nick Liber y de Guillermo Fesser, que son los tres co-hosts que hicieron este programa. La semana que viene más, ¿no chicos? Sí. 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 También, Gracias, tan, también pasamos por el State Park, dice yo. Un placer Toma. sería. Gracias, Nick. Gracias, Lisa. Gracias, Gracias, Guillermo. Allí nos vemos, Marcelo Hernández. Adiós. Adiós Hasta a todos. Luego. Hasta Adiós, luego. Lisa. Adiós, Nick. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. We'll see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm.